Welcome to the Game Changers Pharmacotherapy Podcast, where we navigate the most important changes that affect pharmacotherapy, plus you can earn pharmacy and medicine CE credit. We know you're busy, so use your time effectively by listening, learning, and claiming credit. It's a new way to learn. Just log on to CEimpact.com for more information on podcasts. Hello and welcome again to another episode of Game Changers Clinical Conversations. I'm your host, Jeff Wall, professor of pharmacy practice at Drake University. Welcome. Hope everything in your world is going okay um, and you are uh, keeping safe and hopefully keeping happy as we uh, are actually recording this approaching the uh, Labor Day weekend. It's hard to believe that 2021 is 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 is, is heading toward the sunset, as it were. So uh, thanks for listening. If uh, you haven't listened before and this is your first time, welcome. If you are a regular listener, welcome as well. If you get a chance and you like what you hear, please do subscribe subscribe and like wherever you get your podcast, but most importantly, head over to ceimpact.com. Uh, the producers of this podcast, uh, um, not only do uh, can you sign up for a CE for uh, this program, and it's actually really easy to do. Just listen to us and head to the website, answer a question or two, and you get your CE. And that's uh, good for pharmacists for CE and providers for CME as well. But they also have a wealth of other great uh, um, uh, CE programs. And they have uh, the Pharmacist Network, which is kind of a, a LinkedIn for, for for medical professionals, which is kind of nice to, to, to communicate to each other through. So a lot of great th- things at CE Impact and uh, get over there and take a, take a listen and then take a look and see what you think. Today, we are going to talk about uh, the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force Recommendation Statement on Screening for Diabetes. Um, uh, this was uh, really pretty hot off the press, uh, um, uh, uh, an update that was just came out in JAMA just a little bit uh, ago, uh, uh, talking about um, kind of expanding uh, the screening for diabetes and pre-diabetes and patients. And to help me kind of sort through all this, uh, especially from the, 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 the focus of a community pharmacist, and I think by, by extension community providers, is uh, my frequent partner in crime, uh, Jake Galdo. How are you doing, Jake? I'm doing well, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Not at all. Thanks again for, for being here and being my frequent co-pilot. So, uh, so yeah, so we're going to talk about today. It's a, obviously a huge problem. Um, according to the CDC and several other studies, uh, there's an estimated uh, 13% of all U.S. adults uh, have diabetes. Uh, much more concerning and, and concerning to me as well uh, is that 34.5% of Americans, so think about that, one in three Americans meet criteria for pre-diabetes. Uh, and as you get older, that prevalence uh, starts to go up very significantly. Yes, we've certainly seen a spike in diabetes in in, in teenagers and in, in, in patients in their 20s. Um, I, I, when I teach this to my students at Drake, I often, I often kid and say that's due to hyper Nintendoemia and hyper Cheetoemia. Uh, in that population, but uh, uh, the bottom line is that is that uh, we're seeing much much more diabetes right now, and, and that that incidence does go up as 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 we get older. The big problem, of course, is that especially in the early years of diabetes, most patients don't have symptoms, and so uh, in in some reports, about a quarter of patients uh, were or uh, did not report having diabetes, even though they did. And they say, as far as pre diabetes, and, and one wonders if if there's a, a, you know some reluctance. 
by healthcare professionals to discuss this with patients, but only 15% of patients uh, with prediabetes were had reported being told that they had prediabetes by a healthcare professional. So, um, uh, you know, obviously, you know, it's, it's, it's a gigantic problem and it's getting worse and it's connected to all sorts of other issues, not least of which is the COVID epidemic. We know that, 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 that obesity is one of the hugest risk factors and diabetes is one of the hugest risk factors uh, for serious outcomes in, in, in COVID as well. But of course, the litany of other, other issues as well. Obesity, of course, is the strong risk factor for developing prediabetes and type 2 diabetes, but there's other risk factors, including, including again, older age, family history, uh, a history of gestational diabetes, and history of uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome, and then, of course, dietary and lifestyle factors. And there is a, uh, a genetic and, and ethnic component, of course. The prevalence of, of diabetes is, is higher in uh, American Indian and Alaska Natives, in Asians, in Hispanic and Latino patients, and non-Hispanic Black patients as well, compared to non-Hispanic white patients. And there's a variety of reasons for that. And, and we certainly win in a 25 minute podcast, you could probably do a whole series on, on, on the wide range of both genetic and environmental uh, intersections that occur uh, that, that, that can increase the risk of diabetes. But certainly one of the big issues that, that I think is starting finally to see a little more play is, is the food environment that people live in. Um, it is very difficult to, to eat healthy when you're working two jobs and you get home and you're exhausted and the only thing you want to do is grab a burger on the way home from work and, or you're, you don't have the money or, or there's no uh, ready access to, 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 to food, uh, to uh, healthy foods within, within a easy distance from where you live. And of course, when you're working two jobs, who wants to get on a treadmill after that? So, I mean, it, it, we basically set up a lot of people uh, for the problems that we're dealing with here. So, um, so, you know, what, what, what this all kind of uh, leads to is the fact that, that we're seeing more and more patients with, with, with diabetes and in particular, pre-diabetes. And so the $64 question is, well, okay, someone has diabetes, certainly we want, we want to, to, to capture them as quickly as possible because we all know that the, the, the longer that they have diabetes uh, that's uncontrolled, the higher the risk that they're going to have macrovascular and microvascular complications. Even with all our advances, we still have, you know, a lot of complications associated with it. Uh, you know, diabetes is still the leading cause of blindness in the United States. It's the leading cause of non-traumatic amputation in the United States. And I could go on and on and on. So I think we, those are all things we're aware of. So obviously in the diabetic patient, we, we, we want to capture them as quickly as possible. In the pre-diabetic patient, the, the $64 question has always been, you know, you know, can we turn the tide if we can get them to adopt, you know, lifestyle modifications? Will that help? Um, you know, and will pharmacotherapy help? You know, I remember back when they looked at uh, the glitazones as a possible treatment for prediabetes, and it really didn't find a whole lot of, 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 uh, of utility there. Metformin has been also looked at for prediabetes. Uh, one study did suggest a benefit um, as far as delayed to, to, to diabetes. And of course, there's, there's this, you know, uh, at the time those papers were published, there was a lot of, of debate about, well, you know, are we just really, why don't we just reset the, 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 the diagnosis of diabetes? Cause we're just putting people on drugs that lower their blood sugar anyway. So, I mean, what's the difference, but, but I think, I mean, the bottom line is that, is that even in the studies that looked at pharmacotherapy for, for, for prediabetes, they found that, that, that lifestyle modifications, adjusting diet and, and, and adjusting, uh, exercise regimen was at least or more important than pharmacotherapy in this patient population. And I think it's something that, that, that we can really work at. Um, it's always hard to get, again, people to do that. And, 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 and that's something that, that we're going to have to kind of work on. But the, the bottom line is that the U.S. Preventative Service Task Force recommendation statement uh, it has adjusted their, their, their screening for diabetes on the, premise, on the premise that if we can capture even pre 
pre-diabetic patients that if we can get a, even a small percentage of those patients to adhere to lifestyle modifications, we very well may be able to, 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 uh, to turn the tide in those patients. And given that the harms are very, very minimal in, in frequent screening, uh, you know, the, the benefit probably outweighs the risk. So then for the prescribers and the pharmacists listening, you know, you know, well, okay, well, how do I operationalize that? You know, I mean, you know, it's, you know, who do I put this in, where, why, how, and, and that's where Jake is going to give me a hand with his long experience in community pharmacy uh, to kind of answer a lot of those questions and answer what, what the, the evidence that this, the task force statement was based on. And we're going to do that right after this message from CE Impact. Do you love Game Changers? We would love if you, our dedicated listeners, would share your feedback on your experience of listening to Game Changers every week. Check out the link in the show notes to share your feedback. So we're back talking about uh, the new uh, U.S. Uh, uh, Preventative Task Force Services uh, guidelines for uh, screening of diabetes, and we've kind of gone through why they think this is important. Um, so then, again, how do we operationalize this? What's the who, what, what, when, why, and how? And help me answer all those questions. Uh, again, I want to welcome back Jake. Thanks for, again, coming on, on the program. Thanks, Jeff. So, uh, you know, let's start off. I mean, we'll make this real easy. We'll just, we'll, we'll, we'll ask you a lot of question questions, right? So who, uh, you know, so we, we, we know who the US uh, uh, um, uh, PSTF is. We know they're, they provide recommendations for all sorts of stuff, but one of the big things they do is, is screenings, right? So, how, you know, what, what did they look at as far as the evidence and, and what, what, what did you take away when you read this? Yeah, so you know, it's always fun whenever we're we're talking medical and we say who we're de- and uh, some people might get a little confused and say, oh, the World Health Organization. No, 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 we're we're sticking just <laughs> just U.S. here. Yes, uh, indeed. So this is actually like who, as in not the band, but the person or the the organization. And so, as Jeff mentioned, we're we're talking about the United States Preventative Services Task Force, which is a mouth load. Uh, and then they often abbreviate it USPSTF. And I always forget that second S, but it's definitely Me in too. there. Yeah. And and. and uh, this group is a subset of the Department of Health and Human Services, and they really provide recommendations for screenings and assessments on a variety of medical conditions. They help set guidelines. They help or uh, kind of guide U.S. policy and federal policy at that national level on what we should do. And, and a brief little anecdote, um, this is to, to do rah-rah to our pharmacy colleagues. You know, I was once uh, at breakfast at a PCORI event, and I was I was meeting, and the guy across from the the buffet line from me was the medical director of USPSTF at the time, wow. and he had no idea that pharmacists could immunize. And so I think that it's really exciting when we see these recommendations for then for us to to take it as a professional call call to arms and say how can we implement this in our practice? Right. How can we do this to help our patients? And it's exciting because I've, I've used this as a framework to develop new clinical services and community pharmacies, because you, really you can just go to the United States Preventive Service Task Force and look up all their recommendations and say, what do they recommend? And we can find the ones that we can do within our scope of practice, within maybe clear point of care testing as pharmacists, and really help push forward good public health initiatives. Now, the United States Preventative Services Task Force, they grade their recommendations from an I to an excuse me, from an A to an I. It's not an A to an F, it's an A to an I. So A, they highly recommend with high benefit. B, it is recommended with moderate benefit. C, professional judgment. You can do it or you can't do it. It's just kind of like the judgment of the patient in front of you. B, they are recommending against that screening. And then I is insufficient evidence. And the kind of big call out to this is that anything that is 
graded A or B is 100% covered by insurance per, per the Affordable Care Act. So it's a great opportunity to find out those services that should be implemented in our patients. And then there is a financial model to build it into a sustainable service. Which is great, and and I was again one of the endless one of the endless uh, rocks that our profession you know rolls up that hill is 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 you know we can help, and I mean there's evidence that absolutely shows that community pharmacists can 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 improve outcomes in a wide variety of areas, and screening is one of them. But you know when we're running around with our heads chopped off trying to refill 500 prescriptions, and the phone's ringing off the hook, you know how do you, how do you say well you know who you know how are we going to get reimbursed for for the service? And you're right, you know this this makes this you know not only just the right thing to do because it's the right thing to do, but it also makes it the right thing to do and financially sustainable as well, which is certainly, you know, what, what all health professionals need. I mean, we need that one too. So, so excellent. So then what, what let's get on to the meat of it. So what, 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 what do the guidelines recommend? Yeah. So the, the new guidelines uh, have recommended a screening recommendation for diabetes and it's for any adult age 35 to 70 years old who have overweight or obesity and they need to be screened uh, for diabetes via a fasting plasma glucose, so that's just one of those finger sticks, an A1C or an oral glucose tolerance test, and the uh, the service task force graded this as a B. Okay, and and, and, and again, and a, and a finger stick is perfectly fine, right? They they you know it's perfectly yep. reasonable to do that. That's good to hear. So, so um, why did they do this then? So why why you know why? Because previously it had been forty to seventy five, and now they've moved down to th- to thirty five to seventy five. Particularly again, as and you as you point out, in overweight or or obese patients. So why did they make this recommendation? You're right. There is that huge qualifier about the overweight or obesity. And we see this because apparently 70% of the U.S. is is overweight or obese. Um, I guess since we're in Iowa and Alabama, we can believe that, but maybe Absolutely. other people might not if they're <laughs> yes. national. But 70% of the U.S. is overweight or obese, which is why that's a qualifier on there. This also has a qualifier of talking about non-pregnant patients. Right. So we're not talking about gestational diabetes, as, as Jeff mentioned earlier. Again, this is non-pregnant, 35 to 70, in primary care, overweight or obesity, asymptomatic. And those are all the qualifiers for the United States Preventative Services Task Force. And it's interesting because this is slightly different from what we see within both the American Diabetes Association and the American Association of Clinical Endocrinologists. ADA goes with 45 years or older, regardless of risk factors or any age if someone is overweight in one risk factor. Risk factor could be uh, ethnicity. It could be uh, hypertension or cardiovascular disease. Whereas AACE is 45 without any risk factors and any age if any risk factor, and that could be the obesity or overweight. So again, we have a slight difference between both of our major guidelines for the treatment of diabetes, but also within the screenings themselves. Again, if I were to... Uh, lean off of what can I get reimbursed from a practice level, I'm going to go off of the United States Preventative Services Task Force recommendation because those are what's covered by the Affordable Care Act. Right, exactly. So, yeah, I'm, you know, as always with diabetes, you know, it depends on the guidelines you listen to, right? And, and and you know, yeah, I mean, I feel, I sometimes I feel bad for my primary care providers because, I, you know, it's like they have, you know, it seems like every three months a new organization has some sort of diabetes-related guidelines. And, I you know, I'm sure their heads start to spin after all. It's like, well, who am I supposed to, you know, who am I supposed to follow? Because there are some significant differences between between the organizations. So that's, but I agree with you in this case, especially when it comes to screening, um, um, you know, 
the USP STF seems to be the the big dog of 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 all organizations, the organization of organizations, if you will. That that I think really most people should probably you know to you know follow their their practices. So 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 what are what are the benefits then you know to to this? What did they find? Yeah, and 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 before we jump into the benefits, I just want to add one other uh, little item in there, Jeff, if you don't mind. Sure. It's that these these recommendations do have a qualifier, which are that if any person or persons that you are engaging in your care are from a disproportionately high prevalence of diabetes population, so those that might be American Indian, Alaskan Native, Black, Hawaiian or Pacific Islander, Hispanic or Latino, we can go ahead and start them at uh, screenings at an earlier age if clinically warranted. So there is a qualifier for kind of those social determinants of health that we sometimes see, because not just is diabetes disproportionately high in the prevalence for those populations, but then those populations also might have uh, some social determinants that affect their ability to get access to care. And so we want to screen them earlier. And we do this to your point, uh, Jeff, about the why. So it's kind of interesting. The, the United States Preventative Services Task Force broke the benefits into three buckets. They found inadequate direct evidence for screening leads to improvement in mortality or cardiovascular morbidity. So we're not seeing a lot of evidence in the mortality or cardiovascular morbidity area. However, they did find adequate evidence that getting newly diagnosed diabetes has a moderate benefit in reducing all-cause mortality, diabetes-related mortality, and risk of myocardial infarction. So we're seeing some benefit, so adequate evidence, in kind of more of this diabetes-specific area. However, what really kind of tipped the scales on the benefit side was that there is convincing evidence that preventative interventions, particularly lifestyle interventions, which you've been mentioning, Jeff, uh, in persons identified as having prediabetes have a moderate benefit in reducing the progression of type 2 diabetes. So really the reason we're starting to screen earlier and we're making these recommendations is because as, as you you mentioned Nintendo-itis, though I take a little offense to that. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we, we are not exercising like we should be exercising. We are not eating like we should be eating. And we are overweight when we should not be overweight. And all of those factors lead into poor outcomes later in life. And in fact, we can probably even tie in other medical conditions like dementia that are associated mm -hmm. with these types of uh, you know, not doing good interventions or doing good activities. So by helping people earlier, we're able to really make a significant impact on their care. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and as we as we talked about before, yeah, you're right. You know, the 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 whole you know, studies on how to prevent prediabetes from becoming diabetes, you know, which was very, very hot, I think, especially in the early 2000s, there was, there was a kind of a flurry of studies, you know, you know, that looked at, you know, uh, lifestyle modifications, diet, physical activity, both, and then those plus another medication, you know, an actual pharmacotherapy that might in fact help things. And, and, and as I said, you know, there's at least one study that suggests that, 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 that metformin may help. Um, but it, it was worth noting that, 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 it, that the, the the benefit was was modest compared to the actual lifestyle modification cells. So does metformin kind of help help with some of that with the help because it got, usually causes a little, a little tiny weight loss. People start on it. That's a good question. But yeah, the you know the bottom line is that that lifestyle modifications are cornerstone of therapy. And as a community pharmacist, I know that, you, that and you know that that we've got an increasing number of, of community pharmacists who have gotten health coach training and they're certified health coaches. And so you know that you know again it might be another way to help patients and and. and 
and perhaps, again, depending on, on, on payment, uh, another revenue stream uh, for, for the community pharmacists as well. So what you, what, what, what's kind of your take on, 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 the, on, the, on the research there? You know, the, the research is actually really good, and a lot of it is now being catched within this idea of the CDC's Diabetes Prevention Program, or DPP. And so many community pharmacies are actually not just becoming health coaches, but they're actually getting accredited as diabetes prevention programs and then offering education. Uh, in, our, in our pharmacy that I work at, our clinical coordinator, uh, he helped us get our diabetes prevention program accreditation, and he actually works with local uh, fire departments wow. and helps them you know, manage their diabetes. And it's kind of interesting. I was talking to him earlier this week, knowing we were going to record this, and he had sent me this email and said, can I do point-of-care A1C for diabetes screenings? And I, I called him up and I said, I mean, yes, that's what the <laughs> guidelines say, that's the recommendations we can. That's expensive. Yeah. You yeah. know, and so we can do A1C screenings. We can also do finger stick plasma glucose or finger right. stick glucose. And so, you know, that was kind of my, my, my story back to Anthony is that we can approach helping our local communities and our local employers by offering wellness screenings, diabetes prevention programs. Heck, we can do diabetes self-management education, and we can do wellness screenings. And in those wellness screenings, we check for diabetes, and it's important to know who's eligible. Now it's 35. Uh, and then also making sure that we do the most cost-effective uh, screening available, because when we look at value-based insurance design, some of the stuff that we see within VBID, there's a lot of emphasis on employer costs and paying for unnecessary tests. So I think the more that we as a healthcare professional can advocate for the most appropriate test uh, that is high quality and low cost is going to be the best value to the healthcare system. Absolutely. So, so kind of a, a, you know, a bottom line then is, 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 you know, this, this is a, you know, like everything that's going on in COVID, you know, this may not, you know, get a lot of play in the lay media. I mean, I get a lot of play, you know, in, in other, you know, uh, other areas that uh, for information that, that prescribers and, and pharmacists may get, but it's, it's, it is very important. And, and what this means is that, you know, the, the, the organization that's kind of tasked with, with screening for all sorts of diseases is basically showing that they've they've looked they've looked at the evidence and basically seen that screening especially finger stick uh, fasting blood glucose is, is little harm to patients and if you can capture even a small percentage of these patients who might be pre-diabetic and again you know I'm I, my hat is off to 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 you and your pharmacy to to that 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 you're that you're getting that certification that you're you're getting uh, you know involved with this sort of thing I think it's terrific and you know like it's like kind of the the that barbershop study that looked at at at, at pharmacists who went to barbershop in, in largely African-American communities and found that they were much better able to, to, to you know, find patients with hypertension, treat patients with hypertension, you know, where, 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 where patients are and, and can really make a difference, I think, in, in helping this. And again, not to sound mercenary, but I mean, you know, pharmacists, of course, are all, you know, we want to help people, but we also want to be able to eat <laughs> and keep the doors open and the lights on and, 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 the, and having that both together, I think, is, is, is good for the, for the society surrounding us as well as, as good for the bottom line. So that's, that's very good to hear. Um, and so, yeah, so that's really good. Anything you want to wrap up saying? Well, I mean, I, I agree with you that we need to hustle sometimes to get paid because how else am I going to buy my new Nintendo system, uh, Jeff? 
Yes, indeed. <laughs> or I, I, and again, I'm so old. Does anyone even, does anyone even use Nintendo anymore? I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I stopped, I stopped playing like, like, uh, like, like regular video games, you know, at home years and years ago. So I'm, I'm sure it's something else now. It's probably PS5 or, or whatever, whatever, whatever the kids are playing nowadays. That's for sure. So, well, Jake, I really appreciate you, uh, you uh, hanging out and, and giving us this great information as always, uh, you know, your, your, your view is valuable and your knowledge is valuable and, and really helps us get this, 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 these shows going. So thanks very much. Thanks, Jeff. And thanks for having me. Not at all. So, well, thanks very much for everyone listening to us again. If you uh, like what you hear, please head over, please hit a uh, like and, and, uh, uh, and subscribe if you haven't already done that. And again, most importantly, head over to CE Impact. And uh, speaking of keeping the lights on, you can help us keep the lights on for this podcast if you uh, uh, head over there and sign up for some of their CE programs, and which we'd all really appreciate. So that's it for this week. We will see you next week. Remember, until then, life uh, time flies. I don't know where it's going, but the most important day is today. Take care. Thanks for listening in. Check out the CE for this podcast at ceimpact.com or download the Pharmacy Network app by searching CE Impact in your app store and join the Game Changers Podcast Academy. Happy learning!